Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see you guys. Would you stand with us as we acknowledge the presence, the powerful presence of our God this morning? He is moving. We just have to open our eyes, open our hearts to see his goodness. Would you worship with us? Welcome. It is so good to see you all this morning. Whether you're here with us or worshiping with us online, welcome. We are ready. We are expectant. We believe that God is already moving. He's already moving in this place. And as we just sang, we believe that his glory will be revealed in our time of worship together. And so as we continue to lift his name up, as we continue to worship our worthy God, 
we acknowledge the power of his changing presence. And that is here with us right now. I'm gonna read this call to worship. This is from Psalm 34. It's all about the goodness of God. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God, we acknowledge your goodness. We declare that you are our refuge, you are our deliverer. Let this song be our prayer this morning. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, good.
goodness, that's our constant. That's what we can count on. That's what we can sing about every day. He's never gonna let us down. He's for us. that just like Mount Zion is surrounded by mountains, like your word says, your presence surrounds your people. And we have a great hope. Hear these words from the word of God in the book of Romans chapter 5 and be encouraged by this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. You are our hope. Jesus, you are our only hope.
Lord, you are our living hope. As Christians, Lord, we have a hope that is unshakable, unmovable, Lord. We have a hope that is not rooted in the things we do and the things we experience. Our hope is in you, what you have done, what you have accomplished in Jesus Christ, and what you will do when he returns. Our living hope speaks. Our living hope speaks into our hearts and transforms our minds and changes the way we live and the things we love. Our living hope is eternal. Our living hope is a person, is Jesus Christ. Our living hope is what we need in the midst of tr trouble, in the midst of struggle. Our living hope is what the world needs in the midst of chaos. Lord, we live in times of uncertainty. We live in times of a struggle. We live in times of suffering. We live in times of questions without answers, Lord. We, we live, Lord, once again in times of uncertainty. But one thing we know, that you are not uncertain that you are a for sure thing, that you are present, that you are with us and that you are for us and that whatever you started in us, you will finish. And that our present is not conditioned by the things we do or not do. Our present is determined by who you are and what you do. Lord, I don't know how many of our brothers and sisters, I don't know how many people hearing and being with us uh, online are struggling and going through so many different things. I just pray, Lord, that in the midst of all of these, you reveal yourself to us. That we remember who you are, that we may know who you are, that we may taste and see who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're so happy you're with us today. I'm Hannah, and I serve with our student life team. We're so excited to have gradually started meeting again on campus. Our gatherings have a few modifications in place to worship safely, including reduced size gatherings and asking you to wear a mask for the duration of the service. To worship on campus, you can register now at our website. Every year, our church organizes and participates in CareFest. It's a great way to show God's love and build connections within our community by lending our time and skills to complete repair and care projects for others. CareFest is taking place on August 8th, so now is the time to plan or join a project. If you know a neighbor, friend, family, or organization that we can encourage and serve through a CareFest project, submit your ideas online and the CareFest team will help you make it happen. Registration for projects opens today, so visit wheatonbible.org carefest and sign up for a project. During COVID-19, many of our missionaries have been stretched to the limit including Vic and Dr. Leslie Troutwine in the Dominican Republic. The Troutwines head up Kids Alive DR, where they provide holistic care to over 2,000 at-risk kids through schools and orphanages. 
With students unable to attend school and the crippling economic downturn, Kids Alive has pivoted to become a relief agency. Over the past two months, the Troutwines team has regularly distributed food sacks to over 1,200 households, providing immediate hunger relief to nearly 5,000 people. Thanks to your generosity, our church was able to extend a grant toward these relief efforts to not only address food scarcity, but also to provide family devotions, activity and academic packages for kids, safety material, and emotional care. From their hearts, Vic and Leslie say, thank you for being a part of our rescue team in the Dominican Republic. If you're able, would you please take a moment to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977, visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning, familia. So nice to see you all. You have no idea how, how special it is to be able to see your faces, even though you have something blocking our view right there. Um, still very grateful for those of you that are tuning in from home. Um, I, I want to welcome you as well. What an amazing opportunity that we have uh, to worship together. Um, today, uh, for those of you that are sitting here in the sanctuary, I want to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to do this as a reverence to the Lord and his word. We're going to be reading different sections of the book of Proverbs and his different chapters and verses. So um, just, just please follow along as we read from the screen. We're going to start with Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Proverbs 31 verse 9. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to us. I pray, Lord, that the truth found in the Bible becomes a reality to us. Lord, as I'm about to address this very sensitive and complicated topic in our culture today, I pray, Lord, that you give me the conviction to speak boldly, the grace to speak with gentleness, and the love to speak with love. That I may speak only the truth and nothing but the truth. And we pray for all of that in the name of Jesus, and we all say... You may be seated. So the reason why I said that we're going to talk about a sensitive uh, topic is because it is a sensitive topic. I think that it's uh, one of those topics that have been misunderstood by a lot of people, abused by a lot of people. And there's this tendency that because there's this abuse and misunderstanding, it is so easy to ignore from Scripture. Today we're going to be talking about justice and racism. Let me go back there for a second. 
Um, and, and the way we're going to talk about this topic is under three points. We're going to talk about God and justice first. We're going to talk about the church and justice. And lastly, we're going to talk about righteousness and justice. I think that we always, every time we approach any topic in the Bible, in specific when we are addressing a topic that is so sensitive, we have to start where the Bible starts. And the Bible always starts with God. The reason why we're going to talk about God and justice is because it is important that we remember that whenever the Lord asks anything of us, whenever you find an imperative in the Bible, whenever you find a command in the Bible, it's always uh, um, a manifestation or a reflection of who God is and what God does and what God likes. God will never ask you to do something that he is not. He will never call you to do something that is not part of his nature and what he does. So, for example, if the Lord calls you to be holy, it's because he is holy. When the Bible calls you to extend mercy, it's because he is merciful. When the Bible calls you to extend grace, it's because he is full of grace. When the Bible calls you to be patient, it's because he is patient. Any command, any imperative in the Bible, anything that the God demands of his church is always a reflection of who he is, what he does, and what he likes. Interesting, the Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And I love this passage because he says that Christians ought to be people that walk humbly with God. But notice that he tells you that you know if you are walking humbly with God it, because you love mercy and you act justly. Now, some people seem to believe that this is two concepts. I believe, and most scholars, I think, would agree that these are not two different phrases, uh, act justly and love mercy, but it's actually one concept. To love mercy is the motivation or the driver, and to act justly is what mercy people do. Let me say that again. People that love mercy act justly. The Bible is calling us to be something that God already is. God is just. God acts justly. God executes justice. I could show you a couple of examples here. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 18. It says, For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery and wrongdoing. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. One of my favorite verses that talk about God and who he is is Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. But let him, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Notice this, that this is a call to the church to understand him and to know him. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And from that verse alone, I learned two things. Number one, that in order for me to change, for in, for, in order for me to grow, in order for me to experience some sort of transformation, I need to understand and know the Lord so I could become like him. But the second thing that I can see in the text is that we struggle 
when we tend to elevate one of the attributes of God above any other attribute. Notice that the text gives us three things about God. That he's a God of steadfast love, that he's a God of justice, and he's a God of righteousness. And that we don't have permission to elevate one of those attributes above everything else. You cannot just love the steadfast love of God and not love his righteousness. And you cannot love his righteousness and not care about his justice. Part of the struggle is when we have this distinction. I want to invite you to consider. And I, want to invite, and I would like to argue that this concept of the justice of God is one very important topic in the Bible. It appears, the word justice in the Bible appears more than 200 times. Actually, there's quite, quite a good number of examples in which God introduces himself as God that loves justice. Once again, I think that part of the problem is when we like to elevate some of the attributes of God and we diminish others. So the obvious question we have to ask the Bible today is, what does the Bible mean by justice? And this is where the book of Proverbs is extremely important. And I want to invite you to consider that whenever you read the word justice in the Bible, for the most part, it has two meanings. Justice always means to give, and justice always means to stop. Justice always means to give something, and justice always means to stop. Look at the first one here. Justice means to give. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. It says, um, chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Notice the word good there because it's an important word. It's talking about tangible things. It's about doing something for the benefit of somebody else. But what is intriguing about this passage here is the word do. Which in the, in the, originally, we're, in the original, we really have to translate it as to give to people what they own or to give to people what they deserve. So to act justly, to pursue justice is to give to people what is good for them. Is to give for people what benefit them because it is what they deserve. Now, the Bible is not talking about deserving because they work for it. And they're not talk the Bible is not talking about deserving because they're better than everybody else. What the Bible is talking about is that we ought to give all human beings what they deserve because they have been created in the image of God. They have value and dignity because they have been created in the image of God. We give to human beings, regardless of how they look, what they deserve, because they have been created the way God created them. That's what it means to, to exercise justice. Let me give you another verse, Proverbs 21, verse 7. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. Notice that he says that the wicked is a person that refuses to do what he's supposed to do toward their neighbor, what is right. What is amazing about that text, though, is that the phrase what is right is the phrase, is the word justice. It's the same word. To do justice 
is to give what is right. It's to treat others the way they, they were designed to be treated. It's to give them what they deserve because they are created in the image of God with dignity and value. That's one of the problems with racism. See, racism has this tendency, by definition, racism is when someone thinks that is superior to the rest and that there is people, and that person that is superior deserves everything that is right. And at the same time, a person that is struggling with racism thinks that there's some, there are some people that are inferior and they think that these people that are inferior do not deserve what is right. That is the nature and the heart of racism. And if you notice, this is, is completely, completely unjust. It is elevating people because of their race or their ethnicity and sometimes even because of their culture. And it's to undermine and dehumanize other people because of their race and their ethnicity and even because of their culture. This is one of the important things when we talk about race in the Bible is that this concept of race you don't find in the Bible. It's something that we created as human beings to create categories and to separate people. Actually, the Bible talks about only one and one race, and it's the human race. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is an invention of people. Scientifically speaking, we know that all humans share 99.9 of the same things. We have 0.1 differences. There's only one race. John Perkins says that one of our greatest sins is to do color, color coding. It's to separate people because of their color. One race. The human race created in the image of God. Racist people would say, only the superior people deserve what is right. Inferior people don't deserve anything. That's injustice. Prejudice, on the other hand, is not the same as racism. Prejudice is when we allow the negative beliefs or we allow negative beliefs or attitudes toward a person based on his or her association with other people, with that group. It's when we say things like, you are all the same. You know how much I hate when people say all Latinos are the same? Obviously, these people have never been in Latin America. All white people are the same. All black people are the same. All Asians are the same. You know how offensive that is? That's prejudice. The Bible calls us to give what people deserve simply because they are, have been created in the image of God. That's the first definition of justice. The second definition of justice, justice says that we ought to stop. What I mean by that is that we are called to stop acts of injustice. Look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7. It says, the righteous care about justice for the poor, for the wicked have no such concerns. Look at Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 again. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. From these two verses, we can see that God is a God that cares about the justice of the poor. 
from these two verses, we can see that God cares for the rights of the destitute. The word destitute can be translated as the oppressed or the marginalized. From these verses, we can see that God cares and defends the rights of the poor and the needy. To act justly is not just to give what people deserve, rightly owned because they are being created in the image of God, but to act justly is to try to change whatever is unjust. It's to stop injustice. So let me, let, me, let me apply this to a topic that is sensitive as well, but that us Christians talk about all the time. We all believe, if you're a Christian, we all believe in the sanctity of life. At least I hope that you all believe in the sanctity of life, meaning that every life has meaning and value, right? But there's a difference between being pro-life and pro-birth. We are all pro-life, and we're supposed to be all pro-birth. We believe that babies, even before they are born, they have value and dignity. Once again, because they have been created in the image of God. The problem, though, is that there's a huge number of people that is stopped there. If Christians are pro-life, means that we are pro-life from the womb all the way to eternity. I would say from the womb all the way to the tomb. As Christians, we care for people's souls and for people's lives. As Christians, we don't have permission to create this, this dichotomy in which embraces only one part of the person. As Christians, we embrace the material part of the person and the immaterial part of the person. That's why we care about people's souls. As Christians, we are called to reflect who God is, what God likes, and what God does. I want to read, uh, I, I, I just want you to hear this. I didn't want to put, put it on the screen because I just wanted you to hear it. I, I'm going to read a section of Psalm 146. And in Psalm 146, describes God's, uh, God like this. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Look at what he's saying. That God is powerful, that he has created everything, and that he's faithful. His power and his character. But now here, how is it that God uses that power? He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the foreigner and, this, and sustains the fatherless and the widows. I find that psalm amazing and beautiful. Because if you have been the victim of injustice, God says there that he cares for you. And that he is for you. And that one day he's going to make things right. But for the rest of us that might probably have not been victims of injustice, he says, care for the things I care. Love the people I love. Do what I do. This is why we need to start with God. Because as a church, we are called to imitate our God. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.
Do you have that? Well, whether you do it or not, I think that that's the reason why we got to go to point number two. Let's talk about the church and justice. Let me read to you again Proverbs 29. We're going to come back to that verse later on again. Verse 7, in which he says, The righteous care about justice for the poor. There are two key words there. One is the word righteous, and the second word is the word care. Righteous in the book of Proverbs, according to Bruce Walkie, the scholar that we have been quoting here, left and right, he says that a righteous person in the book of Proverbs is someone that disadvantaged himself or herself to advantage other people. That's what a righteous person does. The wicked, which is the opposite of a righteous person, is the one that he wants to advantage himself by disadvantaging other people. Can you see the difference? The righteous disadvantage himself for the sake by, by advantaging other people, and the wicked does the opposite, advantage himself by disadvantaging other people. Don't you think that maybe, just maybe, that is the root of racism? Is when I'm willing to put myself up at the cost of everybody else. And I'm willing to diminish somebody else so I could feel good about myself. In essence, the problem with the righteous, with the, with the wicked, is that in his mind or her mind, they have to dehumanize somebody else. To use somebody else, you have to de dehumanize that person in your head and in your heart. But for Christians... Is different because we are called righteous people. We are called to disadvantage ourselves for, this, by, by, uh, for the sake of somebody else. And we are called to do that because of one word in that text, the word care. Your call and my call is to care because to care is to love. Care is the summary of the, of, of the commandment that he says that we ought to love our neighbor. Care is a synonym of love. Care is an invitation for us to act like God and love the things that God loves. So what I'm going to do, I usually don't do this because I, I don't spend a lot of time trying to think of cool phrases that you will remember. Don't care about that. But for this one, though, I think that it's important that we remember what it means to care. So what I'm going to use is I'm going to use the word care as an acronym. One thing for C, one thing for A, one thing for R, and one thing for E. Ain't that cool? That was like hours of thinking right there. All right? So care. Look at, look at letter C. Care enough. What happened there? Can I get letter C? Care enough to cry? There you go. Thank you. Care enough to cry. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This is what the Bible calls lamenting. This is what the Bible calls us to do when we want to feel empathy towards someone. This is what the Bible calls us to do as Christians. To weep with the ones that weep. To weep even when you don't understand why is it that you should be weeping. 
To weep even when you don't have all the questions answered. To weep even when you have some sort of reservations. To weep with the, with the victims of injustice. H.B. Charles Jr. says this. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping. Isn't that true for you as well? See, when you're struggling, you don't need anyone to give you a lecture, to ask questions, to try to make statements. When you're suffering, what you need the most is that someone is close to you and weeps with you. Micah Edmondson Empathy means that we take the burdens, the sorrows, the concerns of our neighbors upon ourselves to the point of crying tears with them. We think about their children as if they were our children. We think about their concerns as if they were our personal concerns, and we cry tears with them. See, as a father, I have learned that the best thing I could do for my girls when they're crying is to be with them and to cry with them and to cry for them. It is not different when we talk about race and ethnicities and cultures. Cry, care enough to cry. Do you care enough? Let's look at letter A. Care enough to take action. Look at what the verse says here in Proverbs 31, verse 8. Speak up for those who speak, who cannot speak for themselves. Verse 9, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Notice that it says that God is calling us to both speak and defend the afflicted. This is the reason why indifference for us as Christians is impossible. Or should, should be impossible. This is the reason for us as Christians, speaking is so important. Listen to the words of Dr. King talking about this specific thing. We have in this generation not merely uh, the, hurtful, the hurtful words and actions of bad people, but the appalling, the appalling silence of good people. Silence many times is destructive and many times is disunifying now i know that this is a sensitive thing this might be the reason why rob asked me to preach it but the reality is that silence is really hard to interpret listen i understand why many of us sometimes we prefer to be silent and, and I actually think that there's valid reasons for that. I think that sometimes we are afraid to say something because uh, we don't know if we're going to say the wrong things. We don't know if we don't know what to say. We don't know if we're going to be misunderstood. That's valid. I think that some of us might not want to say something because of uncertainty. We don't know how people will react to the things we say. Sometimes we don't say anything because uh, we have tried in the past and it went really awful and we, now we're wounded because of that. That's valid. 
Sometimes we're silent because of other reasons, some heart issues, selfishness or indifference, or even racism. What I do know is that even though those reasons are valid, the Bible calls us to speak and to defend. This is the problem, people, and this is the problem, church, and I want you to hear this. Sometimes it's really hard to understand why is it that people are not saying anything. It is so easy to assume so many different things. I don't know if you, this is your case in your relationship, but in my relationship with my wife, if we have an issue and I stay quiet, she's thinking 20,000 things that might not be true. On the other hand, sometimes silence is complicit. It's almost like saying, who am I? My brother's keeper? And as Christians, the answer is yes. Because we are one race. We are one family in Jesus Christ. With Jesus' family. We, are one, we have one father, one brother, one Holy Spirit. We are one church. We are our brother's keepers. We are our brother's keepers. We ought to care enough to take action. Letter R. We ought to care enough to repent. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 and 42. This is Jeremiah. He says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Now, this is Jeremiah asking the Lord to examine their hearts so, so the things that are in their hearts could be revealed. There might be things in my heart and in your heart that need to be revealed, and we ought to repent of that. But Jeremiah doesn't stop there. Look at what verse 42 says. We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. This is the crazy thing about that verse. That this is Jeremiah repenting for something he did not do. He's repenting on behalf of his people. This is the same thing that Nehemiah does in chapter 1. This is the same thing that Daniel does in chapter 9. And once again, I know that this is a difficult topic. And to, and to be completely honest, when I was writing this, I was questioning whether or not I should bring this here. But this is the reason why I asked the Lord to give me convictions to speak boldly. And to give me grace to speak gently. And to give me love so I could speak with love. I think that as Christians, we do have the responsibility at a personal level to repent for the things that we have done or not do. This is the thing with Christianity. We are called to repent for those sins that we would call commission, things that we have done wrong. And we are called to repent for the sins that are omission, things that we did not do that we were supposed to do. For some of us, might be acts of injustice or racism or racist tendencies or prejudice or indifference, or defensiveness, or pride, or, in it, or inaction. For that stuff, we repent. But I want, I want to invite you to consider, at least consider, that the Bible calls us to repent for the sins of our past and our people. 
And I'm just going to give you one reason. There are many reasons, but I, I believe this is the primary reason. Because even if you haven't done anything wrong, even if you don't have racist tendencies, even if you're not the slave of prejudice, even if you have been active, even if you have defended, even if you have spoken, even if you have not been defensive, the sins of your people in the past bear toxic fruit today. The sins of our people in the past affect people today. There are practices that started in the past. There are structures that started in the past. There are biases that started in the past that really affect people today. And for that, we repent on their behalf. You know, there's, um, there's a theologian from Yale University. I believe his name is Miroslav Volf. He obviously was not a Latino. And he explains that there are four different ways for us to exclude people from society. He says that one way is by elimi uh, elimination, kind of the Holocaust thing. You kill people. The other one is by dominating, is by segregating people and by t intimidating them. The other one is by assimilation, is to refuse to accept the differences we have and to insist that people are supposed to look like us. And the last one is by abandonment, to refuse for the care and the needs and to defend the rights of people. Now, just, just consider this for a second. Don't you think that we have a little bit of that in our history? And don't you think that that has really affected our culture today? And for that, we repent. And lastly, care enough to be exposed. Romans 12, 15, I love it because when he calls us to mourn, he calls us to mourn with those who mourn. He doesn't call us to be, to, for, more, for people that we don't know. He calls us to proximity because we are changed by proximity. He calls us to mourn with, he calls us to mourn with people that are victims of injustice that we know. So during this season... For me, that he, this has been a huge thing. And I've been wanting to speak to the different people, especially African Americans, that are going through these awful things from, from within the context of the church. And a few weeks ago, um, I spent two hours talking to one of our brothers in a congregation because I just wanted to see, I wanted to hear, I wanted to try to feel what he was feeling, I wanted to try to understand. Because I think that my immigrant experience is different to the African-American experience. And he's explaining all of these things, and he's sharing with me his heart and all of these things. And, but one of the things that really, really broke my heart is he was explaining to me about this phrase that I had already heard about that showed up in the 60s that says that black is beautiful. And he shared with me something that I had never heard before. Because the tendency is to assume that when that phrase came about, like any other other phrases that come, 
is to assume that the reason why that phrase was there was because they wanted, African-American people wanted that everyone would remember that black is beautiful. But that's not what he told me. He told me that the reason why that phrase, black is beautiful, became so popular is because African-Americans needed to remember that black is beautiful. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking as a father once again. And I'm feeling how awful would it be that my, my two daughters will have to remember that brown is beautiful. How awful would it be that all of our kids will have to remember that white is beautiful. How awful would it be that our kids will have to remember that black is beautiful. And that day... That conversation gave me a complete different perspective on history and experiences and on the Bible. We care enough to love. Care. So how do we change? Third point, righteousness and justice. Verse 29 says that it's the righteous, the ones that care for justice. And this is what is interesting, that when you look at that word, you got to ask the question, who is the righteous person that cares so much about justice? And the answer is, not me and not you. It has to be somebody else. And for Christians, it has to be Jesus. The one that was willing to disadvantage himself to advantage others, you and me. If the Bible says that we can only be transformed when we understand and know our God, that means that the only way we're going to be transformed is when we understand and know our Christ. The one that disadvantaged himself, emptied himself, humbled himself, and became a, a human being to be with us. To feel what we feel, to experience what we experience, but without sin. He is the one that truly cared. He is the one that cared enough to cry. He cried with me and my pains, and he cried for me at the cross. God, please forgive him, for they do not know what they're doing. He cared enough to take action. He didn't leave us in our misery. He came to rescue us. He cared enough to repent. Not for his sins, but for my sin. Have you ever considered that the cross of Jesus Christ is a cosmic, public repentance? But not for something Jesus did. For what I did. He cared enough to experience. Did you know that everything Jesus went through before the cross... And during the cross was all unjust. Every single little thing. This is how we change. When we understand and know the God in Jesus that cares about justice. I want to finish by reading a quote by John Perkins that comes from his book, One Blood. He's a man that I truly admire and respect. And this is what he says. We are one race. We are one blood, all created from one man, Adam. 
And we are saved by one blood, the blood of Jesus, the Son of God who gave his life to reconcile us to the Father and to one another. We need to remind ourselves that God fights for those who trust his, trust his purposes. We are marked by love, true truth, and forgiveness. Reconciliation is not going to be won in the streets. I want you to hear that. Reconciliation is not going to be won in the streets. It's going to be won by believing in Jesus Christ who chose to live out the truth of the gospel. Is going to be one in the hearts and minds of men, women, boys, and girls who choose to believe that we have more in common than our differences. Is going to be won by those who, who will be courageous enough to stand and to tell the truth about the ugliness of ethnic hatred and the beauty of true Christian brotherhood. That's you. And that's me. We do have, by the power of the Spirit, what is needed to change our culture. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, so many different things to say. But I pray, Lord, that you open up our eyes so we could see the truth and to believe your word. I pray, Lord, that you help us believe that we were all created from one man, that you made us from one blood, and that you saved us by one blood, the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Your word is truth. Help it to penetrate the hearts of our minds. Help it to break through our walls of resistance and those places where we have chosen to believe in the enemy's lies. Break us, Lord. Awaken us, Lord. Make us one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say... Amen. So we'll respond to this message a little differently today, so I'm going to ask you actually to remain seated. I mean, you're free to stand and sing with us if you want to, but um, we want to sing this song as a prayer and a confession, a declaration. We, like we heard, we believe God cares about justice because he loves people, and as his people, we want to reflect him, and so we want to turn this song into a prayer um, and a confession, um, declaring what we believe about the Lord what he has called us to be and to do as a church.
church we believe in the power of prayer we believe that prayer has the capacity and the potential to change people and to change things and to change circumstances so I want to invite you to pray for what we talked about today but I also want to invite you that if you need prayer to let us know every week we gather as leadership in the church and we pray for your for your needs so please if you have a prayer just text it to 630-260-1600 and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you this week. With that then, I want to pray over you. The blessing found in Numbers chapter 6. And then I want to send you out. And I want to send you out to live your righteousness. The righteousness that you already have in Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. You are sent.